Indeed, O oh God, the, what Christ has accomplished for his people is something that evokes from us our best, our greatest, our biggest, our all. He has taught us that to lose a life is to find it, and to hold on to a life is to lose it. And so we come to give a life away, knowing that the life that we find is the one that was intended. It's the one uh, according to design. It's the one that is rich and meaningful and purposeful. It is the one for which we were intended to live as reflectors of the glory of the God who made us and then found a way to save us in Christ. Our Father, we, um, we continue to ache over the, the sufferings of the uh, Israeli and Lebanese people, over the war um, that exists there and elsewhere in this world, O oh God. Um, raise up your church that she might indeed commit herself to a greater investment in global evangelization and accomplishing the Great Commission. Father, men are going to perish thinking that the cause is a national one. And, oh God, it is, um, it is, it is beautiful to die for one's nation. And yet, oh God, it is frightening to die for any reason outside of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, use this church to announce and proclaim the beauties of Christ in this city and around the world. And to that end, we give and trust that every dime of this will be maximized for the ongoing building up of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Matthew chapter 9. <clears throat> and while you're finding Matthew chapter 9, let me... Um, let me say a word or two by way of introduction, particularly for those of you who are um, relatively new to Grace Evan. Here at Grace Evan, we observe the Lord's Supper once per month, normally the second Sunday of the month, which may be more frequently than you're used to. It may be less, but it's the one time a month that you can um, you can expect a sermonette from me. Because the real sermon is the one that you're going to preach to yourselves via some symbols that we're about to put in your hands. Your response will be highly individualized, highly personalized. And um, it'll range, the responses will range from nothing, that is, <clears throat> no response at all, ho-hum, to um, perhaps a, a refreshing and new revival of your own soul. My job uh, is to prepare you um, to hold those symbols in your hands. Um, because, folks, the, in those symbols, they point to a reality that is the thing um, that is most important in this service today. The reality to, to which these point. And so I'm going to try to prepare you for that and then get out of your way. And then you're on your own. 
just you and some symbols of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ in your hands. We're in Matthew chapter 9. I want to read you a story that I think is, is very familiar to you. Um, probably heard it before. But it's, uh, it's about a guy by the name of Matthew. Let me read you beginning at verse 9 through verse 13. You follow in your copies of God's word as I read. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, that is something that endures forever. Now, for all of you uh, Bible scholars out there, I I have a very uh, difficult, intricate question to ask you. Here it is. Who wrote the Gospel of Matthew? Good, class. Um, Matthew wrote Matthew. Which means that this story about Matthew is told to us by Matthew. (laughs) That was what you call a unique amen. Uh, This story was told by Matthew about Matthew. And don't you think that's a bit self-serving? I mean, um, um, uh, Matthew didn't tell us the story about the calling of Nathaniel or... Bartholomew or Thaddeus or, uh, or Thomas. He, he tells the story about himself. Self-serving? Well, apparently not, because um, others saw the value of this story and included it in their Gospels as well. For instance, Mark includes this story in his Gospel. Luke includes this story about Matthew's calling in his Gospel as well. So... What is it about Matthew's story that's so, that's so important, that's, um, that is so instructive, that's so needful? Let's see if we can find out. Again, clearly the, the intriguing issue, uh, concerning this story is Matthew's occupation. Matthew was a tax collector. And Jesus was constantly getting in trouble with the, with the establishment, with the religious insiders, with the scribes and the Pharisees over his frequently eating with tax collectors and sinners. 
You find it all over the New Testament. You find it in the chapter 11. Uh, you find it in Mark 2. Um, even in, you know, the chapter where you find the parable of the prodigal son? It's uh, Luke 15, which most people call the lost and found department of the New Testament. Because it's, it's a chapter that includes the story of the lost and found sheep and the lost and found coin and the lost and found son. Well, my, but my point is, that chapter opens up. Um, and those three parables follow to address the scribes and the Pharisees coming back to Jesus and saying, what's the matter with you? I mean, you keep, you keep eating with those, those sinners and ugh, tax collectors. Because gang, tax collectors were the scum of the earth. Well, they were wealthy, but theirs was an ill-gotten gain. It was kind of like uh, owning um, Platinum Plus. You know, it might, uh, it might pad your checking account, but, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's unacceptable. And not only that, Jesus ate with them. It's not like he, uh, you know, made benches with them or played around a golf with them. No, 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 no. He, he ate with them and... and um, you know, who you included at your table was very significant in this, in this culture, which is something we'll look at briefly in a minute. But, gang, um, the problem with tax collectors was that their sin was so dang public. You know, those other sinners, um, you know, their, their sin was, um, it, it at least could be done uh, in private. Under the cover of darkness. And so you really never knew exactly what they were up to. I mean, and so some of that was a judgment call. I mean, you just, you could lump all these sinners in, in the, in the same category and then assume that they're doing these bad things. But not tax collectors. No assumption was needed. I mean, you'd, you'd lump all those Sinners together. For instance, the Pharisees never objected to Jesus eating with tax collectors and adulterers. Or tax collectors and murderers. Or tax collectors and thieves. No, 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 no. It was tax collectors. I mean, sinners and tax collectors. It was the tax collectors that really... Because those, those other people, you know, um, they, they, they could do their stuff and nobody really knew what they were up to. But... But not tax collectors. They hung their sin out so everybody could see it. And Matthew felt an obligation to remind his readers, for whatever his reasons, he wanted people to remember that he was one of those dreaded, hated quizlings. Tax collector. It was official. Um... Those tax collectors, they were officially sinners. Might be some question about those other guys because we don't know for sure what they're doing. But, but there was no doubt in anybody's mind about what tax collectors were doing. They were bona fide sinners. And it was an utter scandal for Jesus to be, to be eating a meal with them. You know, I don't know whether you've noticed this when you've read the New Testament, but it, it seems to me that the more unsavory the character, the more comfortable they felt with Jesus. The more comfortable they felt being around him. 
You know, he, um, he spent time with a, a Samaritan woman. Oh, but not only was she a woman, she was a Samaritan. And, and not only that, she didn't have one wife or husband. She had five of them. She'd gone through five husbands. And then, then there was that military officer who, who was an officer in the, the uh, army of the Roman occupiers. And then there was that other woman who, um, who had so recently been the hostess of seven different demons. And they all felt comfortable with Jesus. Um, they, they all loved being around him. Those tax collectors, sinners, oh my, they, they, they were welcomed and felt comfortable at Jesus' table because they understood something about him, that he was a friend of sinners. And they, they liked being around him. The down and outers. Uh, they flocked to Jesus. Not, not that Jesus ate near them or around them. Jesus ate with them. See, gang, the, the issue was not proximity. The issue was affinity. That is, Jesus ate with them. A meal. And the highest form of of hospitality in the ancient Near East was sharing a meal. It was, it was much akin to, um, to a community and kinship and bordered on even being family. And that's why what Judas did was so reprehensible, so despicable, that somebody who shared my meals, he's the one that betrayed me. But in contrast to that, um, Jesus received a very... I, I guess chilly response from the the establishment, and really chilly's not very not said hard. It was more like rude, uh, or maybe even contemptuous, because um, they they certainly didn't feel comfortable over at Jesus's table. You know, people who thought of themselves as as better than those. Sinners and tax collectors. Um, people who, who weren't aware of the problem that they really had and how, how far they fell short of God's standards. Oh no. Th- those people thought that they were quite a spiritual catch. <laughs> and, and those are the ones, they, they didn't see any need to head over to Jesus' table. People who thought that that contamination came from from the outside in, and as long as I uh, as long as I keep my distance from those um, those unsavory types, and and as long as I don't uh, you know uh, commit certain behaviors, oh no 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 I would never do that. Then I don't need to be going over to Jesus's table. Um, in, in fact, what's so special about his table? What's, what's so special about him? You know, you can tell an awful lot about people based on just who they hang out with. In fact, the Pharisees and scribes could never quite understand why all these undesirables flocked to Jesus. I mean, um, don't those people understand that that God is quite happy with us clean livers. 
I mean, you won't find me uh, hanging out with those those sinners. And I, man, I'll tell you this: none of those people are going to get an invitation to my table, no, sir. Why? Uh, why? Some of that might even get on me. And I, I don't want that. And ladies and gentlemen, that was the great error of the Pharisees. Their their religion was a religion of the outside in. That is, contamination came from the outside in. And that's why the Sabbath was so important to them. And, And Jesus was constantly conflicting with them over the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath was the day that they could strut their stuff. They could show just how clean they were. You see, gang, um, the only people that love Jesus' table are folks like Matthew. Um, They're folks who don't need anybody to tell them just how sinful they are. They know it. And they know that they have really no real right to come to his table. The, the facts are glaring to them. And they are, they, they are facts that have, that have enlightened them to, to understand or awakened a deep sense of need. A, a need that is met and can only be met at Jesus' table. They not only want to eat with Jesus, they want to eat Jesus, which I know is language that's so offensive to the 21st century ear. But gang, all, all it means is, and by the way, it's biblical language found, taken right out of John 6. Um, but what they're, what they're saying is that they want to personally appropriate all that he is and all that he has done for his people. People, people like them, people who are collectors and sinners. And whether my sin is public or private, that doesn't make any difference. I, I, I know my sin. Whether it's public or private isn't important because I know it. And I also know that the only remedy that exists can be found Over at Jesus' table. And for us, people who know that, wild horses couldn't keep us away from this table. Because we know that's the place, that's the only place where forgiveness can be found. Right next to Jesus. Gang, um, if all this talk about sinners and tax collectors still leaves you cold and you're still puzzled about what's the big deal and, and you're somehow still convinced that because you're not, you've never committed any of the, the biggies, and because you haven't, that you're okay. And this table is really not for you. No, no. 
It's not for the healthy. It's for the sick. It's for the rest of us who know that our sin has separated us from God. This table is for sinners and tax collectors. You know, people whose sin is public, private, yeah, both. It's in, it's out, it's small, it's big. It's for people who understand that it's not the outside that contaminates the inside. Oh, no, 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 no. It's the contaminated inside that keeps showing up on the outside. For people as wicked as Matthew and as wicked as Jimmy Young. And so, um, if you understand that, if you understand that Jesus is eager to accept us and, and receive us and forgive us and eat with us and Die for us. Then, then come on, let's, let's meet over at Jesus' table. And let's, let's all gather as a bunch of sinners and tax collectors. celebrate that because of this we're forgiven our father I do pray that you will remind your people that this body that is broken and this blood that has been shed is not is not just some piece of religious liturgy It's an emblem. It's a symbol of the cornerstone event of the whole entire Christian faith. The death of Jesus Christ for sinners and tax collectors. And so, Father, gather your people so that we can feed once again on that which to us is altogether lovely. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name and for his sake.